0: So the scripture for today is Psalm 34, verses 1 to 10. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing.
1: We're going to launch a uh, brand new series of messages beginning this morning. And honestly, uh, I have to tell you, I'm a little bit nervous about it, uh, just a bit. Uh, I'll tell you why. I'm concerned about uh, some of the things that we talk about are a little challenging, a little complex for me. And uh, I'm concerned that uh, I adequately represent the truth of our Father's heart. I, I always feel that responsibility. Um, the heart of God. Who can describe the heart of God? But I know he works far beyond any messenger, so uh, I take comfort in that. So we'll ask the Lord to show us the Father's heart in these coming weeks. And I hope you'll pray for us. And so that's what our series is about, uh, Knowing Our Father. You know, early in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, there's an intriguing little incident that happens. And it involves John and a couple of other potential disciples and uh, Jesus walks past this little group of disciples, and John says, "You remember? Look, the Lamb of God." And with that, they take notice, and the disciples begin to shadow him, and they follow him, and they watch him. And finally, Jesus turns around and he looks at them, and he says, "What do you want?" In other words, you're watching me, you're following me, you're shadowing me. What do you want? And it catches them off guard. And it's like they say, what are we going to say? Rabbi, where are you staying? That's the only thing I could think of. That's a good one. This is embarrassing. How do we get out of... Oh, where are you staying? Jesus says, come. Come and you'll see. And perhaps that's the communique to us today. Come and see. Come and see the Father's heart. Perhaps the most important question as we begin the series is... Who can tell us about the Father's heart? Who knows the Father's heart? We have lots of interpretations. I mean, if we listen to people around us, they tell us about the Father's heart. They say some, oftentimes, some pretty hard things about his heart. They don't always understand his heart. As admittedly, I don't either. But Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. Who better to tell us about the Father's heart than Jesus who knows the heart of God better than Jesus and so in all the voices that you hear and in all of the interpretations listen to the words of Jesus when my brother and I were in our early teens I remember something that was happening in our youth ministry I mean it certainly wasn't a well-oiled youth ministry like many are today but we met once in a while country church and uh I remember us doing some things with memorizing Scripture. And I know my brother wasn't into it, and uh, therefore that didn't help me to be into it. And uh, so we were probably both not very energized to memorize Scripture. But but there came a time when we were accountable, and we had to stand up and, and say some Scripture that we memorized. and uh, And we came up with that little verse that Jesus said in John's Gospel, Jesus wept that didn 't seem to tax our brains too much, so and then the other one we got was the the verse that Karen read this morning: "Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean that was easy to memorize as well. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him, and those were those were easy words to remember, uh, and the words seemed meaningful didn 't think about them a lot, but they seemed meaningful. And that's the part of God's heart that is our focus this morning—not to just rattle it off, we'll taste and see that the Lord is good, but to ask: Is God good? Is God good all the time? What is the Father's heart like? And as soon as we say that God is good, we have a thousand ripples that suddenly spread out across the globe in protest. I was, uh, just backing out of the driveway this morning and uh, on my way to church and, uh, the neighbor was out. She was watering her, her, her flowers and, uh, she said, oh, oh, stop, stop. And I stopped and rolled the window down. She said, please pray for my husband. He, he's going to go back into the hospital again. He has cancer, bone cancer. And they put a little support in the back just to, not to eradicate the tumor, but just to take some of the pain away. And that, he was in for a month. And so when I visited them in, in the hospital, they're Polish Roman Catholic, wonderful people. And when I walked in, they said, Oh, our neighbor, Bishop, here's the bishop. (laughs) I'll tell our priest that the bishop came. And, uh, so they were, they were doing their beads. And, uh, and she said, Can you top that? And I said, No, uh, but we all have Jesus, don't we? And he said, Yeah, we all have Jesus. And, uh, but, you know, as soon as we say that God is good, we think of all these difficult situations. I have another neighbor, very cynical man, who comes at me with intensity. He loves to try to throw as many grenades into my lap as possible. And then he chuckles. And I'm, I'm learning to stick-handle him a little bit better. But I hear him saying, so then if that is true, why is this happening in the world? I can just hear him. And before I can get a word up, because he's so fast, he's just throwing his next grenade. What do you do with that? Who should we listen to? Who knows the Father's heart? I think as long as my life is safe and I don't get hit with too much stuff that rocks my world, I won't struggle with this attribute of God that that he is good. Life is good. I mean, we have a few possessions. We're blessed to have a home. We take a vacation or two. A family is healthy. So life is good. But what if your world is being rocked? What then? What kind of stories are you used to hearing in this world? What narratives are you encountering with respect to the goodness of God? There are some dominant narratives. The, the issue of suffering has been written about a great deal, as you know. I just picked up a book by Randy Elkhorn, uh, If God is Good. Excellent book, only 500 pages long. And I know that Rudy reads everything that Randy writes. Have you read this one? He's read it. <laughs> 512 pages. There's a book uh, you might want to pick up called The Good and Beautiful God by James Smith. Uh, it's a wonderful book, and both Norb and I will reference this in the coming weeks. The narratives of suffering. One worldview simply says there is no evil and suffering. There is none. Christian science argues that suffering doesn't exist. It's all in your mind. Change your mind. It's not really happening. It's not the world that I live in. Another worldview espoused by Christopher Hitchkins, modern atheist, author of God is not great, The essence of which he says you can't have this amount of suffering in the world and say that there is a good God that is ruling. Some views say that God has limited goodness. He's good but but not all the time. Some say God has limited power. Some Christians say God is angry with people when they sin so he causes suffering. You just get what you deserve. It has to balance out I want to spend just a little time here because it's actually a little more deep-rooted than we think. James Smith tells the story that he and his wife were expecting a little baby. And the doctor told them that the baby that his wife had been carrying for almost uh, eight months had a rare chromosomal disorder that would uh, likely cause her to die at birth. And so he writes, how do you move from painting your child's nursery to planning her funeral? Well, the little girl didn't die at birth, but lived for two years. And he writes One day, a pastor I had known for years took me to lunch in an effort to comfort me. And while I was in the middle of eating my salad, he asked, Who sinned, Jim? You or your wife? I said, 'Uh, Excuse me? What do you mean? He said, Well, one of you must have sinned at some point to have caused this to happen. And he said, oh, that became a very disturbing, reflective question. He said, I couldn't think of anything in my life. He wondered about his wife. Maybe she had done something bad. Now, this is one of the narratives that we're confronted with. Is it biblical? Is it the right narrative? Is is this understanding of God consistent with the Father's heart? The heart that Jesus revealed. This is the narrative that can be summed up as God is an angry judge. If you do well, you'll be blessed. If you don't do well, you'll be punished. It has a superstitious feel to it. I don't know how to better say it. And even though we might quickly say, oh, no, 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 no. That's not, we don't believe that. The way we actually function... Is not necessarily congruent. It, it's somewhat automatic to believe this. Maybe it's how we operate in our own humanness. You do something to me, I'll do something to you. It, we balance this out. And this is a view about a third of all Christians agree with. Their view of God's goodness is God is watching us closely, eager to punish us for even minor infractions. Our suffering relates to our sin. Now, there's a passage in John's gospel that allows us to see Jesus' take on this. What does he think about this narrative, about this perspective? Well, John chapter 9, verse 1 goes like this. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I mean, there it is. The view that if you step out of line, God will punish you or your children or your children. You get what you deserve. Listen to what Jesus says. Neither this man nor his parents sin," said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. The rabbis, the religious establishment, taught that illnesses were caused by the sins of parents or by the person who was suffering. And because this man's blindness was congenital, it was surmised that the blindness was caused by the parents. Jesus, in essence, says, No, that's, that's not the Father's heart. That's not who He is. It's not that maybe the mom or dad did something while the infant was in the womb. It's not that if one of them was unfaithful that God took it out on the child to be born. If If Jesus would have thought that, he would have just retreated from the situation and says, well, it is as it is. He said, no, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That's, not why, that's why the, not why the man was born blind. And Jesus doesn't retreat from this situation. In fact, he stepped right into this real life situation and he healed the man who was born blind. Merrill Tenney, the New Testament scholar, writes, Jesus looked on this man's plight not as a retribution for some offense committed either by his parents or himself, but as an opportunity to do God's work. Jesus did not consider the blindness as punishment. It was a challenge to manifest God's healing power in this man's life. At its core, my life is, uh, my faith is very simple. Uh, I can't explain nor do I ever try to when there's a tough situation, the suffering that's in the world. I don't try to explain it. Oh, I know there are some logical reasons. They're called consequences. I mean, how much suffering could be handled if there was an equal distribution of wealth across the world? How much suffering is eradicated when we care for the poor? How much suffering is is eradicated when alcohol and drugs and gambling doesn't dominate people's lives? And we can think of one illustration after another. Some suffering comes because of consequences of our own actions. There's one source of suffering that we don't think about a great deal, and that's the downside of living in a world with dependable and interdependent physical laws. The vast majority of time, we're very grateful for the laws of gravity. You throw something up in the air, ball, up in the air, it comes back down again. We're grateful for cell growth, unless it's a rogue cell. We're grateful for the action of wind and water, or the shifting of the earth's plates, which creates mountains and valleys and plains. But sometimes it goes too far and you have a Manitoba flood or right now a Bismarck flood. In Japan, with a tsunami, the earthquake that took place moved the earth's plates something like six meters. I mean, I suppose it's true that even some of the devastation could be alleviated by moving people away from all the areas that are prone to disaster. But that's not always possible. And God often gets the blame for such catastrophes. So some, therefore, just reject God. But I have to ask the question, even if we reject God, we're still left with suffering. We're still left with the problem of evil. Even if you rule God out of the equation, it's still in our universe. How do we answer the question, why so much pain in a world of such plenty there are some things that happen I just can't wrap my head around now this is quite personal uh, at midnight some, some years ago our phone rang and it was our dear friend Bob Teske calling I asked Bob if I might share this this morning and he's, he's in Toronto he said I would be honored if you shared it And I know that Hazel would be honored. Bob Teske called uh, from an ambulance en route from Rocky Mountain House to Edmonton. And he said, Ken, we've been in a terrible accident. I said, Bob, are you okay? He said, No. Hazel is gone. I'm battered up pretty badly. I mean, I don't think I had the words to respond to the shock of the situation. He said, would you go over to the house and wake up the kids and tell them what's happened and come and meet the ambulance at the Royal Alec Hospital. It was Thanksgiving weekend. I remember when Bob and Hazel left church that Sunday after worship. It was a wonderful day. The sun was shining. It was beautiful. And we were teasing because... Hazel had lost her reading glasses, which was something common for her. She'd set them down. And so we were laughing and teasing that she's lost them again. And all was well in the world. But 12 hours later, the world looked quite different. Hazel had died when a car came careening through an intersection, didn't stop, pushing Bob and Hazel into a deep ditch where they weren't discovered for some hours. Bob, knowing Hazel was gone, held her until help arrived. But what I want to say is that Hazel had a view of the Father's heart that he was a good God, even when bad things happen. We knew that. And she often talked about the sovereignty of God, that he's a sovereign God. And I watched Bob affirm that position as well and never did i hear a rant against drunk drivers never did i hear the words that god was unfair i think it's fine to say that if we need to to deal with our own feelings but bob didn't seem to even need to do that it is as it is was his comment and god knows what he's doing and god is good and at the heart of god is goodness even when it doesn't seem that way well, I'll tell you, that was huge in my heart. It still is. Some of it defies logic. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 45? It's the statement that indicates that God treats all people the same. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And every day we see this, when the sun shines, literally everyone has the sunshine. And when the weather gets gloomy and it rains, everybody in the path of that rainstorm gets the rain. Not just Christians, but all people. So God gives blessings to all without regard to their behavior. And we know likewise that really hard things happen to the most wonderful people. And wonderful things happen to people who are awful who are cruel, who, are, who get convicted of crimes of humanity against humanity. And so we live in a world where bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people and everything in between. It's the reality of our world. And Jesus said that's how it is. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And regardless of what I think about reality, it is as it is. What I've come to see is that there's no system. There's no way to figure it out. We can't understand it most of the time. My uncle was a Baptist pastor. He was taken in the prime of his life and ministry. His son... My cousin was 16 when his dad died. He went on to get an engineering degree, got married, had a family. Two of his sons took their lives because of schizophrenia. His daughter had a stroke, now recovered. His wife got cancer, now recovered. And only a year ago, Neil, my cousin, died of cancer. It was like, oh, one family, so much. I don't try to figure it out. It's true, I I know there is some logic again to suffering, both on an individual, on a national level. There's suffering that comes to a larger population because of the turf wars of the drug trade in Mexico and hundreds of people get caught in the crossfire. There's the suffering in our body when we don't take care of it. You can't abuse your body year after year after year without consequences which involve suffering. The uprisings in in Libya and Syria and the Middle East come out of repression. And people rise up eventually. And there are consequences. What can we learn about the Father's heart so that we can say God is good all the time? Number one, Jesus affirmed that the Father's heart is good. He affirmed that. I trust what Jesus said. He said, the Father is good. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, we have the story of a young man who ran up to Jesus, knelt down in front of him and asked, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus' comment was, uh, was an opportunity for the rich man to confess his faith in Christ as the Son of God that didn't happen but what did happen was a clear expression of who Jesus knows the father to be and Jesus says he's good there are numerous scriptures that support this attribute of God I won't take the time to go through them just to claim Psalm 119 verse 68 you are good the psalmist says and what you do is good Psalm 135, 3, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. So Jesus said that the Father's heart is good. I hold on to that. The the second, the Father's heart is revealed in his creation. Seven times in Genesis, God said that what he made was good. And then he made humankind. And James says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Thirdly, even when we can't understand, we can hold on to the truth that God is caring for us and and going before us. And he sees a bigger picture. The world we live in is a fallen world, a broken world. The sin that entered into the world at the beginning of human history has affected all of God's creation. It's a world impacted by sin. And in the midst of a broken world, God says that his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And that verse gives me a lot of confidence, even though I can't put all the pieces together. I know that God sees the bigger picture. And we have evidence in the scripture that God has the ability to bring good out of things that were intended for evil. The Genesis story of Joseph, God working out his purpose and plan. And when Joseph comes to the end of his life, he says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Sometimes we don't know what is best for us, what is good for us, but God is trying to make us like his son. And he allows us to travel hard roads in order to accomplish his best purposes for our lives. A closing illustration. Leprosy is a disease that attacks the nervous system and destroys the the person's ability to feel pain. It's because the person can't feel pain that a person loses their fingers and toes maybe puts their hand into fire and doesn't realize the damage that that will, will do. So there's a study that's, uh, that's out these days that's being done with devices that inflict an electric shock whenever uh, a vulnerable part of the, the patient's body is being abused. So a- any time the patient does something that will hurt their hands or feet, they experience this electric shock, which is quite a shock when they anticipate that they're, they're going to be hurt or their hands are going to be hurt. And, and so the patient has discovered that the best way to not have this shock is to kind of premeditate when you're going to get shocked and shut the device off. So they discovered that they had to put the device out of reach <laughs> so it couldn't be easily turned off. And the shock shock actually proves to be something good for them because it warns them about consequences. You know, and perhaps at times we would like God to turn off the current. We'd like Him to turn down the heat to get us out of our difficult journey. We would switch off the pain. It's natural. We would switch off the pain. But that may not help us grow into what God would want us to be. The words of C.S. Lewis that God shouts to us in our pain. Let me just wrap this up. There, uh, there, this is a huge topic and I kind of didn't know where the beginning was and where the end was. I, I know that one sermon doesn't address all these issues. They're huge. But as I said, at the core of who I am, I come from a very simple faith. Someone said to me this week, I have to figure out all the pieces. I have to get them all in line before I can come to my conclusions. And that's okay too. We come at things because we're uh, in different ways because we're wired differently. In my heart, I know that God is good. In, in the hardest times of my life, I've sensed the presence of God. I've sensed the peace of God. And the underlying reality that He really is good. He's really good, even when I'm hurting. I don't understand the things that come our way at times. I've come to believe that maybe by and by, we'll get it. We'll get the picture. And then I've come to see that for some things in life, we may never get the picture. Even so, God is good. It is the essential core of who He is. There's one verse I'd like to give you as we close. It's a powerful verse. John chapter 16, verse 33. Look at these words. They're the words of Jesus. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I am a person with such limited understanding. And the more I grow, the more I see how little I understand. Jesus never promises that we'll dodge all the bullets, He never said, we'll live a struggle-free life. In this world, he said, you will have trouble. That's what he said. But take heart. I've overcome the world. We'll find that we grow and mature through our trials in ways that we might never have any other way. God is good. May we find the grace to allow him to do his work in our lives in the lowest valleys. And may we discover that he has overcome. He's overcome the world.